our sheets in the back with the, um, the lesson outline and our scripture sheet. Sean tells me we are online, and if you'd pull our uh, presentation up, that'd be great. Thank you, Sean. I want to say thanks to Sean and all the guys that help out in our booth back there. They do a great job every week, and want to welcome everyone who's here in person. Thank you for coming tonight to another Answers in Genesis lesson. I just believe this is going to be a great time. We want to welcome everybody online, too. If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, we're glad you're there. Just leave us a comment. Tell us you're watching with us. Say hello. Glad to have you with us, too. Um, tonight we're going to be continuing on with Genesis, and we're going to be looking at two chapters. So there's going to be plenty to read and work through tonight. I know we can do it, though. We've done it before. We're going to do it again tonight. We're going to get through two chapters, and tonight's lesson is going to really be all about Joseph's life. And we're going to see now, um, if you remember last week, lesson 45 about Joseph being sold into slavery. You know, his brothers, they were just frustrated with him, angry with him, angry with the way that his father had shown him favoritism. And um, they were just ready to get rid of him. But um, we know that God uh, worked through uh, even some of his brothers, Reuben, for instance, who um, talked them out of killing Joseph. And instead they threw him in a pit and um, he would end up being sold to Midianite Ishmaelite traders who would then bring him to Egypt. And that's what we're going to pick up tonight in Genesis 39. I'll give you our lesson focus, um, fill in on a couple details about what has happened in the last two chapters, and then we'll go ahead and pray and get started in Genesis 39. So if you are going to read in your Bible tonight, I'd encourage you to open up to Genesis uh, 39. So you can take notes as we go through. Lesson focus tonight is this. Joseph remained faithful even in difficult circumstances as a servant in Potiphar's house. And then in prison after he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. God blessed Joseph wherever he went and he had a plan for him. And as we read tonight, I believe what you're going to see both in Joseph's life, but something that's true for you too, is if, if you are following the Lord, he is going to bless you wherever he went. You know, as I was even thinking about this lesson focus tonight, getting ready for the lesson, you know, it says God blessed Joseph wherever he went. And I was just encouraged in this in my spirit. I heard God blesses you wherever you go. I mean, I'm reading through it and I just put my name right in there. And I said, God blesses Isaac wherever he goes. I think we should just start with that tonight. I want you to say this with me and put your name in there. Let's say it. God blesses Isaac wherever I go. You can tell yourself that any time of the day, any time you're feeling discouraged, any time you've got a difficult circumstance like Joseph had, or maybe it's not that severe, but any time you're um, needing to be reminded of the blessing, you can say this and know that it is based on the word that God blesses me as his child, as his servant, um, as someone who is, is identified with his son Jesus wherever I go, and he has a plan for us. So just to catch you up, um, real quick on, on where we've gone, um, if you remember verse th or chapter 37 of Genesis is what we read through last week, and that's where Joseph is sold off. We're skipping uh, verse 38. That's an incident with um, one of Jacob's sons, Judah, and um, he has this issue with one of his daughter-in-laws, and he has a couple of sons that die, and um, he's supposed to provide for her another husband, and he lies, and he doesn't do what he's supposed to, and he gets deceived, and he gets himself in trouble. Just kind of an ongoing saga of some bad decisions made in this family that God would ultimately use to bring his plan um, to be accomplished. But we're going to pick up in verse 39 and just continue talking about Joseph. We don't want to take time to deviate and go and see where Judah messed up. Um, but we're, gonna, we're just going to keep on with Joseph in this thread as he's going to be someone that is used by God to make a way for the nation of Israel to survive and to be uh, fruitful and blessed and then go on to inherit the promised land that we've been talking about since Genesis 12. So let's pray over our time tonight, and then we'll get started uh, with verse 1 in Genesis 39. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We know it's true. We know it's trustworthy. We know we can look to it and glean from it. And so tonight we approach this time of study just open and receptive to what you have to say, both in the written word, Lord, and in the word you're speaking to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And so we are receptive to it. We are ready for it tonight. We expect it this evening, whether we're here in person or watching online, Lord. I just pray that as we go through your word, you are speaking to us, revealing and teaching things about the word, just making that truth uh, reaffirmed and better understood in our own hearts. But Lord, beyond that, revealing how it is applied 
to our life today and how um, things about you are still true today. Things about um, your faithfulness and your blessing and your protection and your plan, they're still true today. Things about um, sin and, and walking away from temptation when it comes, how it's still true today. And we thank you that you are here in this place, a part of this time tonight, Lord. We just look to your word and trust in you to have your will and your way accomplished in this place tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's read verse 1 in Genesis 39. I'm going to have it up on the overhead, and you can read along there or out of your Bible. So let's get started. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, it's a long title, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. And so we see the next step in the story. Joseph is sold by his brothers, comes to Egypt, and now he's on auction, and he gets purchased by this man named Pharaoh who is identified as a captain of the guard. What that means is he's a guy up in the ranks of the Egyptian military and at this time Egypt was like the, the the world superpower I mean they had it going on they had industry and agriculture and they had the army they were the nation to be a part of and this guy is high up in the ranks what we're actually gonna see as we go on is the captain of the guard which is Pharaoh he's the guy who had the prison in his house I mean he was high up in the ranks of the Egyptian military and he would have um, answered probably right to Pharaoh as this this high-ranking officer the captain of the guard so I just want to identify this and as we talk through these first parts about Joseph being sold as a slave in Egypt. One of the things we see, if we'll look at it um, through the eyes of God as a, a blessing and favor giving God, is Joseph is finding favor in the worst possible situation. I mean, think about this. He is being sold as a slave. Prob I mean, we, we believe that's happening against his will. I mean, his brothers didn't give him an option of whether he wanted to go or not. They sold him for the money. And so he is in a very hard situation here. And yet, even in this difficult situation, difficult place, he's finding favor in the, in the fact that he's not being sold to just some random Egyptian. You know, he, he could have just as easily ended up going to, to be a farmhand. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but as a slave farmhand, I mean, you're going to go and you're going to work until you got nothing less left to give us and then you're going to die. And so he just as easily could have entered into a place of servanthood or, or slavery that he would not have had any opportunity to learn or to glean things or to gain things. But what's interesting about him going to the captain of the guard is he would have been surrounded by high-ranking Egyptians. I mean, this guy was, was upper class in the Egyptian society. And I believe God's favor was upon him to put him in a place, put him in an assignment even, where he's not just you know forced labor the rest of his life he had an opportunity to advance he had an opportunity to grow he had an opportunity um, to to put his hand to things where God could bless and bring increase to him and to uh, Potiphar's house you know a couple things that I wrote down about this is that in Potiphar's house Joseph would have had exposure to this upper class lifestyle of Egyptian living. That means Joseph would have learned about Egyptian customs. He would have learned how the nation worked, how they interacted with one another at that level. He would have learned the language so that he could uh, run the affairs and the business of the house, which leads to another point. He would, have, he would have learned how Egyptian economies worked. He would have learned lessons about how their, their agriculture practices worked, how they stored things. He would have had a great learning, a great preparation, um, great schooling, if you will, in how to run a household in the nation of Egypt. And you know what I see with all of that is he was being prepared for what God was going to bring him to. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not telling you that God chose to put Joseph in slavery. I believe that happened because of his brother's sinful actions. And there are times in life where we end up in difficult positions because of our own choices or because of choices other people make because we're living in a cursed world with cursed mankind. I mean, don't you know that when, when someone starts stomping around in your life and they're living in a cursed way, it, it, it can hurt you. But the good news is God's still a favor-giving, blessing-giving God. And so even when we're living in a cursed world and people are trying to drag us down, we can look to our God and trust in him in every circumstance, just like Joseph does here. And, and what we're going to get to tonight, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And Joseph is one who loves God, is being blessed and favored even in a terrible situation. And so I just want to encourage you that even in this, this he's a slave. 
And God is showing him favor by using this time of slavery in his life to prepare him. I'm not saying God put him there. I don't believe that he did. I believe God had another way to get Israel through that time of famine and um, out of the land of Egypt. But here he is in this situation created by others, and God is still faithful to give him favor and blessing and use him and train him even through this time so that he is prepared for the future. And you know something I, I see in this too. I know we're only one verse in so far, but I think this is good. Something else about Joseph, he must have had a good attitude because what we're going to see next as we read on in verse 2 and 3 his master sees that he is increasing and he is, he is blessing the house as a side effect of being blessed by God. He would have had to have had a good attitude because, I mean, we've all probably worked with someone before who has a bad attitude and nobody wants to promote that person, right? I mean, nobody wants to give more responsibility to the person who just shows up in a bad attitude and is mad about everything all the time. He had a reason to be, but I believe what he had to see is, you know what? God is going to use this. God is going to use this. God may not have, have chosen this thing. I may not have chosen this thing. But here I am, and I know that even in this terrible situation, God can use it for good. And you know that. God can work all things together for good. And so this is what we see here. Uh, James 1, verse 2 through 4, kind of speaks to the same issue. James 1, 2 through 4, speaks to how even difficult things can be if we're allowing them to be used by God to prepare us just like for Joseph I mean this time of of what could have been just awful pain and suffering and um, difficulty was used by God um, as a as a blessing of preparation James 1 2 through 4 says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials and you notice here it says when you fall into various trials it doesn't say when God makes you go into a trial Okay, I want to be so clear about that because I think it's something the world gets so messed up. Oh, God is mean. You know, God just puts people in bad situations because he wants to teach them a lesson. I believe God is a good father. And, and while good fathers train and they do things to help their kids and teach their kids, I, I, don't know a, I don't personally know a good father who has sold their kid into slavery. You know? And I don't believe that's something that our great and perfect father God would do either. Here it says, my brethren, count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What we can see is that in these trials, there is an opportunity to be prepared. There's an opportunity to grow. In James, he's talking about patience, you know, having our faith worked on so that it produces patience. And, and patience, like we've said before, is something that's going to be a byproduct of faith. Knowing it and believing it is going to enable me to be patient for it. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. With this, we, we see it talking about patience and joy through these trials. With Joseph, we see the preparation being done for him to step into this position that ultimately God would bring him to um, as someone who would be an administrator over the whole country of Egypt. In this, as a slave, the Lord was with Joseph, causing him to be successful in and what he put his hand to. Let's read about that going on in verse 2, 3, and so on. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And I'm not going to start preaching this right now. We're going to talk more about it in a minute. But you know when the Lord is with you, there is going to be success that follows. Because the Lord's not a loser. Amen? I mean, the Lord knows what what is increase the lord knows what is success the lord knows what is fruitful and um, where the lord goes uh, there's going to be increase in blessing and so because the lord was with joseph he was a successful man it's important to identify that it wasn't just joseph's skill i told you i wasn't going to start preaching about this but here i am with things to preach joseph was was not the um not the guy put over his father's whole business. Did you know that? The older brothers were the ones that were to go and oversee the, the workings of the flock. I think Joseph probably approached the situation as the son who had kind of been coddled, as the son who had probably not had to have been trained up. He probably was going to just have a cushy life in Jacob's house because he was the favorite and he had the special coat of many colors. He had it easy. I don't think he came into Egypt with a lot of training of how to administrate a household, and yet here he is succeeding beyond all the other servants. What, what is that? That's the blessing of God. That's the favor of God. That is the wisdom of God working in his life. 
So when the Lord's with you, I'll tell you, it can, it can go far above and beyond what natural training, natural wisdom can do. The anointing of God is so much better than anything man can give you. Amen? Amen. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. All he did to succeed in his hands. Man, that is awesome. The, the blessing of the Lord, is it's just flourishing in everything. Here's another thing about it. God's blessing, God's favor, God's kind of increase is, is recognizable. It's noticeable. It's different than the world's kind of increase, the world's kind of wisdom or, or system. I love that, that God's increase is going to be recognizable and it's going to be glorifying to him. Here, um, I'm sorry, here Potiphar is as an Egyptian master. I don't believe he knew God. And yet he's giving God credit. He recognizes the Lord is, is working with Jacob because everything that's happening that he's doing is so much better than what any person could do. God's getting the glory for Joseph's work because he's letting God work through him. When you let God work through you, you're going to be blessed as a byproduct, but it's going to be glorifying to God to the people that see it. Verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. A slave is in charge of everything that he's got. Over the whole household, over the whole you know, flock, over all of the other servants. I mean, he's in charge of everything. From that time, he made him overseer in his house and over all he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I'm going to stop there and we're going to come back because we're going to talk here in a minute about lust. But before we do that, I want to talk about the position Joseph was promoted to and how um, he was, was able to just be a blessing um, to Potiphar and to his home. You know, we said this a minute ago, because the Lord was with Joseph, that was the cause for all the success that was had. It's the reason he was promoted. It was, it was not his skill and ability, but it was the blessing of God. It was the favor of God working in him. So unrecognizable that Potiphar recognized Joseph over all the other slaves. We, we see three things mentioned about what Potiphar did for Joseph. It says he was made overseer of the house. That means over all of the people, all of the workings, all of the jobs and the happenings going on. And, and remember who Potiphar is. He's not just some Egyptian who had some stuff. He is like up in probably the top 10 people under Pharaoh. I mean, he is like in line. I mean, talking about modern day, I mean, he'd be like, you know, fifth or sixth in line for the presidency. I mean, he is up there in terms of what he's got to do. So it makes sense that he's not just home to run the house. And Joseph's the guy. He's the guy running his house while he's away being, you know, captain of the guard and keeping, uh, keeping the, the police force, the guard of Egypt all in place. He says he's given charge over all that Potiphar had. Think about that. He has access to everything in this guy's house. I mean, imagine some of the richest people, you know, in world terms, material terms you could think of today, because this is what this guy would be equivalent to. And Joseph had access to all of it. He had access to all of it. And the guy wasn't there like making sure that, you know, oh, Joseph, you're, you can't use that. You can't eat that. I think Joseph had access where he was enjoying living in a palace of Egypt. I mean, talk about God's blessing and favor. Here's a slave living better than his brothers who were free back in Israel. I mean, honestly, they thought they were getting the best of Joseph. Well, God got the best of them because God's blessing takes what is supposed to be a lowly position and elevates it to a place of blessing and glory and favor. <laughs> it's something that the world can't do, but it's something God can do. And because of Joseph, the whole house was blessed. Amen. Where the Lord is, the, that house will be blessed. I want to go to Psalm 84, verse 11, and just talk for a brief moment about the favor and blessing of God. I love this psalm and how it compares and, and it you know, it kind of expounds what the blessing, what the favor of God is like. In Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Here, this is talking about God's favor. And um, 
you know, the one who is favored by God is going to be one who has access to the grace of God, the blessing of God. In fact, the word grace, charis in the New Testament is very much likened to favor. Um, it's one who's experiencing, it is the experience of God's favor, graces. It is because I'm favored, I'm experiencing the giving of God for the things that I have need of getting those things that I don't deserve. That's the grace, that's the favor working um, of God. And so I love this, this example because I think about, you know, sunshine. And, and we're finally getting to the point of the year where we get some sunshine. And I wasn't even thinking about that when I picked this scripture, but it's so fitting. Sunshine is nice. I mean, whether you like it hot or not, sunshine's a good thing. Sunshine, the warmth of it, I mean, think about the warmth of a sun. That's the favor of God. Stepping out and just, just feeling the warmth. I mean, have you ever had a moment like that where you needed some warmth in your life and you found it praising the Lord? You found it with God praying to the Lord? I have. Man, what a peaceful thing to just step out and be covered in that warmth. That's, that's the favor of God. You know, some other things with the sun, the light. Man, we like the light. We like the goodness of the light. We like the truth that is shown in the light. You know, it's goodness. It's, it's life even. It gives life to things that grow. I love the example of the shield as well. Think about a shield, it's strength. We talk about strength a lot. We need some strength and a shield is strong. Shield doesn't break easily. It's protection for you. That's who our God is. That's what his favorite is, is, is strength and protection. And we see it in Joseph's life. Strengthened to a point beyond the understanding of man. Protected to a point beyond the understanding of man that when his brothers tried to just get rid of him, here he is being increased in Egypt as a slave. That is the favor and the goodness of God. And then I love how the scripture ends it. It says, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. We could say this, no good thing will he withhold from the favored one. No good thing will he withhold from the one who is walking in the grace of God, who's receiving the grace of God. If you've received God's grace, like it says right here, that, that he um, gives grace and glory, no good thing will he withhold from you. No good thing will he withhold. We see this with Joseph. His life is an example of that. As a slave, no good thing is being withheld from him. He's got access to all the best of the land of Egypt. He's got access to authority over these people in the house of one of the highest ranking men in Egypt. That's something only the favor and the blessing of God can do. He couldn't have worked that out on his own, but God can and God did. And I love this point too talking about the favor that is is being experienced in this house it says that potiphar had no concern did you catch that when we were reading through it It said potiphar he had no concern in his house it's right there in verse six because of joseph he had no concern about anything but the food he's eating he knew everything was taken care of he knew everything was increasing the way that it was supposed to because joseph was living in the blessing of god and because he was living in the blessing it was spilling out into potiphar's house Tell you, the places I go, I want them to be blessed places. I'm careful about where I go to because I want to go places that are flowing in the blessing. I want to be walking in blessing. I want to be contributing to the blessing. I want to go places that receive the blessing of God, are open to the blessing of God. And so here we see this, no concern. That's another great way to describe what walking in the favor of God is like. It takes fear away. There's another word for it, fear or worry away. Potiphar wasn't worried. I don't think Joseph was worried. You know, as the slave, I mean, he was in a position where he makes one bad mistake and, I mean, he could be gone and out and done and dead. But I don't think he was worried either. I don't think he was fearful. I believe he was in faith in God. I, I, I know he had to have been in faith in God because he was in a position, position where he couldn't put faith in himself. As a slave going to Egypt, sold by his brothers, you can't have faith in yourself for that. You know, oh, I'm going to get up on that auction block and really show them something. And then I'm going to, I'm going to be the one they pick. I'm going to be first round draft at that slave auction. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? He, he couldn't have been putting faith in himself. It had to be in God. And because he put his faith in God, he was blessed. So then we get to this next part where Potiphar's wife enters. And we never do get her name, but we don't need to know it. It says, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. And I, I don't know if I read that last line in, in verse 6, but it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. There aren't a lot of people in the Bible that are explained that way, but Joseph was one of them. Handsome in form and appearance. He was looking good. 
And so the master's wife casts her eyes. That's important to remember. She casts her eyes first, and then she says, lie with me. But he refused, what a great man of God, and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He's saying, we've got a good thing going here. He's not greater in the house than I am. Think about that statement. Here's the slave saying, he's not greater in the house. I've got the same access, the same authority. I mean, it just shows you how high God had promoted Joseph in this place nor has he kept anything back from me except you because you are his wife how then can i do this great wickedness and sin against god and as she spoke to joseph day after day he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there she caught him by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He ran so fast, he left his clothes there. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. So not only is she saying here that Joseph had come in and, and tried to take the one thing that he wasn't supposed to take in the house. She's saying, it's your fault. I mean, she is really working this thing, isn't she? She's saying, not only did he come and try to do this, this bad thing, but it's your fault that this happened in the first place. So you better do something about it, Potiphar. I mean, she is, she is saying, you need to handle this and you need to get rid of that man who won't sleep with me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice, I think I already read that. He fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Isn't that interesting? Once again, of all the prisons that were available, he goes to the king's prison, the place with the royal prisoners. You know, it just, once again, I'm seeing God's favor working in Joseph's life that he is, of all the options, he's probably going to the best place he could have gone to and um, i don't know if i've got it ahead in the notes so i'll just i'll say it now yeah actually i do have it kind of in our next section so i'll save it we'll, we'll come back to the other options that potiphar might have had joseph is experiencing the favor of god um, you know we're going to get into this a little bit more um, after we talk about joseph refusing and kind of the consequence of sin but i, I identified it a couple times while we were reading you know um, how Potiphar's wife, before she ever tried to lie with Joseph, she was casting her eyes on Joseph. What that means is before she ever made an advance to do something physical with Joseph, she was making advances in her heart and imagining what that could be like. She was looking at him longingly. Potiphar's away for so many days, and here's this this. You know, man who's attractive in form and appearance, and he's right here in the house. What could I do with him? She started thinking on it, started dwelling on it. And what happens is that matter that began in her heart ultimately works out to a place where it's in her life. Physically, she's acting upon it. Physically, she's trying to take him in um, to her layer, if we'll use a Proverbs word on it. She's trying to lure him in. And, and it all starts with what's going on in her heart. Just think it's interesting. You know, we talk about this as believers, about how really sin starts in the heart and then it grows out from there. Well, it's true in the world, too. You know, it's not different for unbelievers. It starts with a heart thing. Before she was ever taking physical action, she was taking action in her heart. So I'll say more about that here in a little bit. Um, let's talk about lust trying to trap Joseph. Before he's ever accused falsely by Potiphar's wife, 
um, he refuses advances. And not just one time, not even just two times. It says day after day she's coming to him trying to get him to go in and lie with her. Um, you know, he identifies two reasons. I'll go back to this conversation that they had. <clears throat> Let's see. Yeah, right there. There's two reasons he refuses to lie with his master's wife. This is what he says to her in verse 8. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything in my charge. He's not greater in the house of mine, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you're his wife. What he's talking about here is trust. He says, Potiphar trusts me with everything. He's been good to me. I mean, as good as a master can be to a slave, he's been that good to me. I've got access to all of it. I'm in a great position. I don't want to mess this up by sinning against him. I don't want to damage my relationship with Potiphar by going in and doing this thing with you. I'm going to guard my relationship with this person I care about. I'm going to guard the fact that we have a strong relationship right now. I'm not going to let this sin damage and divide us apart from each other. And then the second reason he gives is this. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The second thing I identifies here is if I do this with you, not only am I going to cause division in my relationship with Potiphar, which is a good thing, I'm going to be sinning against God. I'm going to be causing damage and, and division to my relationship with my Lord. I'm going to be making an active choice to do something that I know is wrong in his eyes, something I know is not going to be an action of love toward him and choosing that. That's going to be do nothing but divide against God. How can I do this wickedness? against God. <clears throat> the thing I want to take away from this is that sin damages two relationships. Sin is going to damage two relationships. The first is that with other people, and the second is that with God. There's, there's two parties. Well, and then I guess us, we're going to get hurt in it too because of the division that's going to be experienced. But ultimately, and I thought through this today while, while I was writing and, and Studying, and I, I thought about, well, are, are there some you know, sins we could do that you know, only maybe will hurt one or won't hurt the other? And I don't believe there are. I think every time we take an action of sin, we're going to be damaging a relationship with somebody in some way. Whether they know it or not, we're going to know it, that there's been um, division put up. Or it's going to end, or it's going to be with God, that there is you know, a block there. Now, we've, we've preached on Wednesday nights and Sundays and, and often about the forgiveness we have, and so we know that that doesn't have to stay that way. We know that we've been redeemed and reconciled in Christ, that we don't have to stay in a position of separation. We know we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so um, if we've had sin, we know that it can be dealt with. Repentance, forgiveness, we've been forgiven. And so we just receive that. Um, we, we repent of our sin, go and sin no more, and I believe we are restored. I believe our relationships with God can be restored. I believe we have word in the Bible about when there has been sin that's caused damage or, or um, division in a relationship with a person. We have a map in the word of how to get that restored and reconciled. We talked about that just a few weeks ago with Jacob and Esau. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time there tonight because we've, we've gone into that, both of those points of forgiveness and reconciliation in depth already. But I think this is something I pull away from it. If we go to Mark 12, verse 30 and 31, what I see in this, something I just I felt like the Lord was showing me today is sin is the opposite of love. Sin is the opposite action of love. And I think it's interesting that in Mark 12, verse 30, in 31, Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment, which you know the religious leaders were trying to trick him on. And this is what he says. He is not... I'm sorry, that's what's up there. Let me read it off of our paper here. Mark 12, 30 through 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So if we look at sin and what sin does, it divides... Our relationship with God and it divides our relationship with other people and yet here Jesus is speaking of of the greatest commandment and he says you know it's it's these two things love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself if I'm loving two other people if I'm doing what is good for these two relationships I'm not gonna sin because sin is the opposite action of love. If I am supposed to be living my life, if the greatest commandment given by Jesus and the second which is like it is to love God and to love my neighbor, well then, 
If I'm going to love them, I can't sin against them. Amen? And so I just, for me, it brings this, this kind of revelation on it, this full circle um, understanding of loving and how it contrasts with sin. Here what we see is Joseph choosing to love. He's saying, I can't do this with you. He doesn't say it's because I don't want to. I don't know if he did or not, but I don't know if he was tempted or not. But what I do know is he said, I love God too much to do that. And I love Potiphar too much to do that. And I'll tell you, just this understanding is something that I can see taken with me. And next time I'm tempted, I can say, you know what? I love God too much to do that. I love that person too much to do that. And so I'm not going to do something to damage this relationship because I value it more than I value this one-time sin, this, this giving into temptation this one time. I think understanding you know, the damage of sin, uh, to me, helps me understand the value of, of love. It, it helps me to understand the strength of love. And so I just want to encourage you in that tonight. I think knowing our love for God and for our neighbor, our brother, our sister, even for the lost, you know, it's, it's going to stop us from sinning. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I was going to say this about the text too in verse 10. It says, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to lie beside her or to be with her. What I see in this is Joseph was trying to get away from this lady. And she kept coming to him. It says he wouldn't even be with her. He was trying to stay far away. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 2.22. And, and this just fits so well with the story because it's exactly what Joseph would end up doing. It says, flee also, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who are called on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee these youthful lusts. So we see Joseph fleeing in the sense that he wasn't hanging around. And that's important to know too. You know, if, if we know that there's a temptation to something, if we know that there's sin trying to grab us and bring us into its lair to cause us damage, get away from it. Don't hang out with it. Don't, don't flirt with it. Don't, I mean, that, I mean, that's the perfect word for this story, isn't it? Flirt with it. I mean, he, he literally could have just hung out in the house and flirted with her. I mean, that's what you would see on a modern-day you know, romance movie. He'd be hanging out in the house, entertaining it, flirting with it, until finally it gets him. Well, Joseph was a righteous man, so he ran. <laughs> Sometimes the righteous run, amen? When sin is knocking, run. Flee from this. Flee from it. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Amen. A couple more verses couple more verses here about um, sexual immorality because that's what this is talking about tonight Joseph made a decision not to give in to that temptation instead he fled far away from it first Thessalonians 4 3 through 5 have you ever wanted to know the will of God for your life have you ever wanted that question answered God what is your will in this situation we get some verses like this that tell us exactly what the will is. And this is one of them, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. You're, you're being set apart from the world. And this, this is what it says about that, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, in being set apart and in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know, talking just a minute ago even about the movies that are out today, that's the world's depiction of what romance should look like. That's the world's depiction of what love ought to look like, is I'm going to just entertain, I'm going to flirt with whatever you know, feels good. I mean, that's exactly contrary to 1 Thessalonians here, because it says each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion and in lust. Giving in to whatever is going to feel good in a moment, whatever is going to feel self-gratifying in a moment, but ultimately is bad for someone else. And, you know, we can see clearly here how this situation was bad for everybody. I mean, it was going to be bad for Joseph. The slave, he's going to get demoted and thrown out of the house, which happened to him anyway because this lady's a liar. It's going to be bad for the lady because I'm sure Potiphar wouldn't have been happy about that. I'm sure Potiphar would have had anger and things to deal with. And then he would have had to have found a new master of his house. I mean, it doesn't help anybody. It's a bad situation. 
And that's, that's lust for you. It's going to be something that ultimately is detrimental to everybody. Love, you know, here's a simple definition. We talked about this even last night at Men Alive. Love is something that gives. Lust is something that takes. I mean, just a simple way that I've heard it discussed before, and I think it's good. You know, love is going to give. We see that through the word. Lust is something that's going to take. It's self-interested rather than uh, selfless in, in the way it works. So there's a couple things about the sexual immorality and just how it is really, you know, it's not because God doesn't want people to enjoy creation or enjoy uh, pleasure. It's because it's he knows that this is what's good. This is what is uh, beneficial. This is what is helpful. This is what gives life rather than takes life. And then um, you, I referenced this earlier, Matthew five twenty eight, And I said that this is really how it all started. Is um, Jesus said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman um, with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and I believe Joseph was making a decision. I mean, he wasn't even looking. He was running. He's too busy running to look. You know, and, and that could even be a good thing to remember, too. Hey, I'm going to be so busy running away from that thing that I don't have time to look at it. I'm going to get so busy pursuing love and righteousness and peace that, that I can't look back at that temptation, that sin um, that is trying to pull me in. Uh, Potiphar's wife, on the other hand, was she was not uh, following the teaching of the word she was looking she was casting her eye and uh, that of course culminated in her sinning and lying when she couldn't get her way so at this point we have joseph uh, falsely accused and imprisoned by by potiphar's wife and then potiphar potiphar had the uh the authority to put joseph in prison as captain of the guard Um, and it was the lies told by potiphar's wife that would land him um, in prison. You know, I was saying earlier, talking about how though God used, you know, Joseph being brought to Egypt as a slave as a means to teach him and prepare him and promote him. Um, and here we'll, we'll see God would use the prison that Joseph went to as an as a avenue to get him into the palace when he had this interaction we're going to read about with these prisoners he interprets some dreams and then ultimately he would have an opportunity to go and talk with pharaoh later on um but i want to be clear tonight that god didn't put him there and and god didn't make potiphar's wife lie about joseph so that he would be sent to prison i want to go to john 8 verse 44 and talk about lies for a minute because to say that god sent joseph to prison is the same as saying god made potiphar's wife lie because that's what got Joseph sent to prison. You know that. And so if, if God sent Joseph to prison, then he must have motivated Potiphar's wife to lie. But in John 8, verse 44, Jesus says this. He says, you are of your father the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his resources. He says when he speaks a lie, when the devil speaks a lie... He's speaking from what he has in him, which is lies and deceit. For he is a liar and the father of it, the father of lies. So it's so clear here, God didn't tell anybody to lie. Never has, and I don't believe he ever will. And I think we talked about that a few weeks back, about how God's not going to tell you to tell a little white lie to get something done. You know, sin is still sin. That's what we said in that lesson, right? So God did not tell Potiphar's wife, he did not force Potiphar's wife to lie in order for Joseph to go to prison. You know, I, I've said this a couple weeks now, I know that there was another way for Joseph to get into a position where he could have given Israel, the nation, um, position in the land of Egypt during a time of famine. God would have been able to work it out. I mean, we know that about God, don't we? I mean, if, if he can make a way through every other circumstance we've seen through Genesis, he would be able to make a way through this. And so um, lies don't come from God. God did not make Potiphar's wife lie. And so God did not send Joseph to prison um, so that he could learn through his suffering. Okay, just to put it that way. God did not send him there so that he could learn a lesson. God used the difficult circumstances of the world for a glorious and beneficial thing he showed joseph favor and blessing through it but god was not at the at the root of that happening amen and then um one other verse about this just it's interesting to me that that joseph i mean i could probably just preach tonight and i'm not but 
you could preach about Joseph's attitude through it, about his approach through all of this, because he could have got so bitter, he could have got so angry, he could have been such a victim. I mean, he, if anybody has a reason to blame everybody else for what's going wrong in his life, it's Joseph. I mean, it really was, like, in a way, everybody else's fault. I mean, he's just, he's just trying to do what he does and living in the blessing. I mean, he gets a dream and he shares it and then his brothers are selling him to slave traders and then he's in Pot- Potiphar's house and it's all going great, but then the wife lies and now he's in prison. I mean, he didn't necessarily do anything to make himself, you know, in these situations. And yet he's not lashing out. And yet he's not, you know, trying to go and cut Potiphar's wife down on his way to prison. I mean, he's just trusting God. Romans 12 verse 19 says this, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, all who have not been forgiven are going to experience the wrath of God someday. In Judgment Day, there, there is going to be wrath, okay? Now, for those who have entered into life in Christ, the wrath has already been poured out upon him. And so we have been freed of that punishment, praise the Lord. But it's, it's not that, you know, the wrath is erased. There's still a day where wrath has to be um, given. Judgment has to be given. For the ones who call on the name of Jesus, well, that's already been taken care of on the cross. And so that's why we are not going to endure that. But everyone else is, they're going to endure that. There is going to be a day of vengeance. And whether we see it happen here and now, you know, we don't, we don't get more about Potiphar's wife. We don't hear about her again. I don't know what happened to her. She might have died a week later. It's possible. I don't know when, but I do know this. She had wrath come upon her. There was vengeance on her for the evil she did to Joseph. And Joseph didn't have to handle it himself. You know that? He didn't have to go and figure it out and make her know that she did him wrong and make her pay for what she's done. He gave it to God. And God took care of it. Amen? And God took care of him. Because even in this, I think when we look at situations and we say, well, I have to be the one that makes this right. Well, then I've just, I've just taken my faith out of God and put it in myself. When I make a decision that I've got to make it right, I've just put my faith in me instead of in him. And right here, we're told in Scripture, Beloved, you know you're the beloved of God. You are loved by Him. You don't need to avenge yourself. Don't take it upon yourself to bring vengeance. He's going to take care of it. Amen? Let's keep going in our story. We are, we are uh, running out of time tonight, but we're going to read through what happens in prison. And then next week, we're going to talk about um, Joseph you know, rising to power as this um, visor of Egypt. Genesis 39, 19 says, As soon as his master heard the word that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, steady love, consistent love, enduring love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I love this story because every terrible place Joseph goes, he gets promoted, he is favored. The place is blessed. We're going to see that next. He, he really gets authority of the prison. I mean, I mentioned like last week about the, uh, the old animated movie about Joseph King of Dreams. And in that movie, he's just like this one guy with two other dudes in this prison. And they're just getting these little scraps of bread thrown at him. And I don't think that paints an accurate picture of what really happened in the Word. He is keeper, the keeper of the prison. It says this in verse 22. Put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. I mean, that's amazing. Here's this guy walking into prison first weekend, and hey, you want to just take care of this? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hang out outside. Why don't you take care of everything going on in here? I mean, that's like a modern-day prisoner going into prison and becoming the warden. That's what God's blessing and favor will do. He's put in charge of all the prisoners in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Whatever's going on, Joseph is in charge. That's amazing. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. He's in prison and they're not even paying attention to him. He's got it good, doesn't he? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And we're going on to Genesis 40 now. Sometime after this, so he's been in prison for a while, in this position of power and promotion. 
Um, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, their king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. What does that tell us? He's still in Potiphar's house. Isn't that interesting? I had never caught that before we were doing this study. He's actually still in the house of Potiphar. He's just in the prison part of the house now. And there's a different part of the house being blessed. Because it says here, he was put in the house of the captain of the guard, which is Potiphar. Didn't we read that earlier? And then it says, in the prison where Joseph is confined. So in, Pot or in Potiphar's house, in the prison. So Joseph must be in Potiphar's house, in the prison. I just think that's an interesting little detail. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended to, the, attended to them. They continued for some time in custody. Then one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, the blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. You're going to be back in your position. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. Get me out of this place. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake biscuits on my head. Isn't it interesting that this guy, who we're going to find out his dream doesn't mean anything good for him, he waits until he knows what kind of interpretations are being given out before he asks for his dream to be interpreted. That's, that's a person who's got old number one in mind all the time. I don't want to hear it if it's not good. But, hey, his was good, so let me get some of that. Kind of a moocher, if you ask me. And the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of it, the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. He, he might have been regretting asking for the dream's interpretation. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's too bad. So he would stay there for a little while longer. But it's okay, next week we're coming back to the prison to get Joseph out, all right? You know, I said this earlier, but even in terrible situations, Joseph is finding favor. I talked about it in the fact that he's promoted within the prison, that there's blessing and success following Joseph because the Lord is with Joseph. And that's, that's a good point, too. The Lord will follow you into every place you go. Amen? And so if he's with you, there's going to be favor and blessing. God's blessing is not limited to one place. God's blessing is not limited to one position. God's blessing will follow you where you go because the Lord goes with you. I mentioned this, I think, earlier, but I think it's awesome that even in the choices, you know, just like how of all the places he could have been a slave, he was a slave in like the best house available. Of all the options Potiphar had to deal with Joseph, he picked the best one. He put him in the king's prison where these high-ranking guys came in. He could have killed them. I mean, that was not off the table. Oh, you slept with my wife? Okay, well, you're going to die. I mean, that, that's the way it would have been. He was a slave. 
Potiphar's property. Potiphar can do whatever he wants for a lot less than that. And yet he's sending him to the king's prison. It's fine in favor. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier Romans 8, 28. I'll just read it for good measure. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. We know this is Joseph. And I'll say this tonight. I know that that is you. If you've received Christ, you are called according to his purpose. And he has good plans in store for you. I mentioned this earlier, and, and I feel it's important to cover it because it was actually it was something in the curriculum that um, I, I wanted to, to talk about kind of in a different way than they put it because there are a lot of people that, that believe in God choosing to make you suffer. There are a lot of people that believe that, that God chooses for you to suffer so that he can teach you a lesson. I talked earlier about God as a good father and how that, I mean, just that doesn't even make any sense. I want to look at 2 Timothy 3.12 as well and see, let's talk for just a, just a minute, how, why suffering occurred in Joseph's life, why suffering occurred in Christ's life, and why, what kind, I'm going to say that, what kind of suffering um, we should expect as Christians in our life. Joseph was hated for doing what was good. The reason he went to prison is because he did what was good. The reason he was thrown in a pit by his brothers is because he did what was good. He, I mean, we said last week he was, he was kind of a tattletale. What he was doing was exposing evil that his brothers were doing. Um, he was sharing the word of the Lord. He was sharing the dream from the Lord with his brothers. He wasn't doing bad. I mean, he was doing good. Why was Christ hated? Because he brought the truth. And he performed miracles that none of the religious people could do, and they hated him for it. He wasn't hated because he was this you know, terrible person. He wasn't hated on by the world because God was trying to teach him a lesson. The world hated him because he was righteous. And the world's not righteous. And the world hates both seeing someone walk in righteousness and also the fruit of righteousness, which is better than the fruit of wickedness. The world's jealous. The world's jealous. I did. Here's something else about Christ as we get ready to read 2 Timothy 3.12. Christ lived his life fully alive. The kind of suffering, we'll call it suffering that Christ went through, persecution, which is the kind of suffering Christians should expect, and I don't expect any other kind, I'll tell you that. The kind of suffering Christ endured was persecution, but he didn't suffer through his life other than the persecution. He wasn't plagued with illness and poverty and lack of knowledge or wisdom. He, he wasn't struggling through life, was he? He wasn't lacking in power when he faced demons. He wasn't lacking in, in the words to say by the Holy Spirit when he was confronted by religious leaders who were bringing a false doctrine. I mean, he didn't suffer through life to be taught a lesson by his father. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Aren't you glad it isn't left at will suffer? There are people who want you to believe that that's what the Bible says. Is Christians will suffer. You know, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. No, it's important the way that we read the word. It's important to take it at its full value. If Christ lived persecuted, but not suffering in all areas of life, I expect to live with persecution, but not suffering and just hobbling along through life. Being taught all these, you know, lessons, what some people would want to say by God. I'm not saying that God can't use a difficult situation to teach you something, but I am saying God is not forcing you into difficult situations to try to get a lesson through to you. God doesn't put suffering on your plate to teach you something. Amen? Suffer persecution. It's important the kind of suffering we're talking about. And there's people who, I might, I might just preach a Sunday message on this sometime, the kinds of suffering, because there's different kinds of suffering. Do you know that? There, there is the suffering that's caused by death, you know, separation, a lack. There's, there's this kind of suffering, persecution, which is, well, people who hate you because you're righteous. And they're not. There's different kinds of suffering. And it's important to note that if we're living in Christ, in his likeness, I expect to live like Christ, in his likeness. 
So if persecution comes, great. But I'll tell you what, if the devil tries to bring some other kind of suffering into my life, I will be taking authority over him and speaking the name of Jesus over him. And I will be confessing what the word says, that I have abundant life in Jesus' name. Not suffering. He didn't come to bring me suffering. Amen. Hallelujah. Dreams and interpretations. So Joseph, he wasn't suffering because God was trying to teach him something. He was, well, he was suffering because of persecution for doing good. <clears throat> I think we can see, you know, how the, the dreams and interpretations played out. Um, the one note I want to make about the dreams and interpretations is this. Um, Joseph, when he gives interpretation, when he prepares to give interpretation, he leads, <clears throat> I'm trying to find where that was. This is the interpretation back. Sorry, I'm taking a second here. <clears throat> right here in verse 8. We've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. Joseph gave glory to God. I think it just shows the fact that he's aware. Number one, the Lord is with him. That the favor, the blessing, the interpretation in this case comes not from him but from God. He was mindful of the Lord. He acknowledges the Lord. Say this, he was glorifying God in what he did. You know, I, I believe based on this and based on how even Potiphar said, you know, the Lord is, is blessing the house because of Joseph. I believe Joseph was active in giving God glory for what was happening in his life. Not the bad, but the good. He wasn't walking around saying, oh, the Lord is trying to teach me a lesson. He's brought me into this house and now I'm suffering as a slave. He was saying, hey, praise the Lord for this, you know, this huge increase we had today. Praise the Lord for the harvest that came in Potiphar. Praise God that he's blessing us and increasing us. You know, praise God that, that people are working hard because there's a, a leader leading in love here and not someone with a whip trying to drive them as slaves. Praise, praise the Lord. That's glorifying to God. Here with the interpretations. Do not interpretations belong to God. He's saying, doesn't God have the power to give us the word? Let's see. And, and then he gives it to him. He, I believe, was experiencing this blessing from God because he was, he was purposed by God and he loved God but he also glorified God. And so that's kind of the way I want to end tonight. We've got the kids coming up, and I'm already a few minutes over. So um, I'll just tell you this, especially down in the apologetic section tonight, what you're going to see there is just some apologetic points about how the history that archaeologists, Egyptologists are finding about Egypt is aligning with what we see confirmed in the word here. And I've got some references for you. Just talking about how the, the way the history of Joseph's life plays out aligns with things that you would have seen in the 12th dynasty of the Egyptian reign and ruler of kings. I've got a couple names in there. Pharaoh Sesotris I. That's who they believe would have lived around this time in the belief of a shorter chronology of Egypt. Um, he would have lived around seven, uh, 1700 BC. And if you remember last week we said that joseph's life occurred right around 1700 bc and so those dates would line up and then there's actually a guy and his name's there i'm probably going to not say it right but mentuhotep mentuhotep he was the visor or the prime minister of egypt under this pharaoh in the 12th dynasty and there's some people who believe based on the egyptian history of his life that that may have been joseph and so just a couple interesting points for you I got the dates in there um, and then the references for some of the comparisons made between egypt history and what we see in the word so not that we go there to base our belief but hey i like seeing where it lines up you know i like seeing where what we're experiencing in the world the you know science is backed up by the word and it aligns. I like that. So did you get something tonight as we studied Joseph and the blessing and favor that comes in every place because the Lord goes with us in every place? Amen. Let's just pray and agree in that tonight um, that we can take this truth out into the world. And even if we're persecuted, we'll just still shine as lights. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the word and we thank you for your blessing and your favor that go with us all the time as a sun and as a shield that shine upon us. Lord, you withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly, those who are in 
Christ Jesus, your son, who are sons and daughters adopted into your family. That's us tonight, Lord, and we thank you that we can expect and experience your favor and blessing in every season of our life, in every place of our life, in every circumstance that we go through. Lord, I thank you that you are working all things together for the good of us who love you. We praise you for that tonight. And Lord, we trust you that you're not one who puts us into positions of suffering. Lord, no, you, you, you use things that happen in the world for good. You, you work all things together for good, Lord. You don't send us into, into devastation, into suffering to teach us some kind of lesson. But Lord, I thank you that you do use all things and turn them for good. God, I just pray tonight that even in this misconception about your character as one who, who you know, puts suffering into people's lives for, for a purpose. I pray that as we've studied the word tonight and even gone to Second Timothy and looked at that passage that talks about the kind of suffering that we would expect, the kind of suffering that as Christ walked through it, we would walk through it. I just pray that we would see and have revealed by your spirit our identity in Christ and how uh, we are called to walk a life like Christ walked, which means a life of maybe persecution coming. I expect that to happen, Lord, because I know the world doesn't like righteousness or accept righteousness and yet here I am one who's righteous but Lord I thank you that I, I also expect that the other kinds of suffering that people would want me to buy into and believe are contrary to your promise and your blessing and the word of God and so I thank you that I have abundant life in Christ Jesus I receive that in Jesus name and I thank you for it and I pray that as we step out and share the word with others, share our belief and our faith with others, they too would see that you are not a, a sadistic kind of person who wants us to suffer, or to teach us something, Lord. No, but you are a good father who loves and gives abundant life to his children. You are one who does not withhold any good thing, like it says in Psalm 84. So Lord, I pray that as we go tonight, we just are prepared and we have been equipped with the word to share the truth with the world to shine as lights in the world and go to them with this message of hope with this message of love with the good news the gospel of jesus christ our lord and savior we pray it in his name amen well, hallelujah thank you for joining us tonight for another answers in genesis next week we're coming back to get joseph out of the pit out of the prison so we hope you'll join us for that we'll see you next week have a wonderful evening